0: Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedgatian Type spondial Metaphysial Dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Welcome back to Raising Rare. Today we have a special guest, Brittany Ratke, whose daughter Everly was born with a mutation in SETD5. SETD5 is a gene that controls several other genes and therefore has a broad range of phenotypic variations. Before we get started, can we get an update on Raghav? Yeah,
1: welcome uh, to the show, Brittany. Update um, on Raghav, he's doing great. Uh, he's out of his cold, which we are all extremely thankful for. Um, he's back to school, um, making a lot of new friends, uh, learning new stuff at school. Uh, I think the best thing that we are all enjoying about uh, him going to school is is um, dressing him up in the morning. Um, my wife ends up buying, I don't know how many dresses and shirts and pants she has, but she keeps buying new ones every week, and they're all awesome. I took a lot of inspiration from his dressing, and I, I started dressing better myself. Um, not today, but, but on some days.
0: That's good to hear that he's he's getting into that that groove of school and that, and that Rami is enjoying the shopping trips
1: oh yeah and you know surprisingly kids dresses are a lot cheaper than uh, adult dresses and especially if you like go to target or go find sales like they are like two dollars a shirt or something like that so you could grab like 20 for 40 dollars <laughs> and then not worry about dresses at all um Anyway, that's my that's my latest uh, obsession is is dressing him up. So, um, let's talk about Brittany. Brittany, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into your story with Everly.
2: Yes. So first, I can definitely relate to the shopping habits, and my husband would definitely <laughs> agree with that. I love to dress the kids. But as you said, my name is Brittany. Um, Our little family consists of my husband Chris, my oldest daughter Everly, who is three, and my favorite little boy Maverick, who is two. And of course, we can't forget our little puppy Hazel as well. Uh, We live in a tiny town in central Minnesota. And I work at one of the largest locally owned insurance brokerages in Minnesota, so my work definitely keeps me busy as well. so that's kind of a little bit about our family and and who we
0: are. Thank you so much for that it's this your story is so inspiring. Tell me about brittany and and the fact that she was when she was born, and and then when you started to first see things going wrong?
2: Yeah, so Chris and I knew early on that we were very excited to start a family. Um, Unfortunately, the road to get there was a little bit harder than we had anticipated. So we suffered a few miscarriages, and we were feeling a a bit discouraged. But um, a Halloween of 2017 we actually found out we were expecting. And so that was probably the first time we realized we were finally going to have our rainbow baby. And we're really praying that everything was going to be, you know, at that time, we like to say healthy and and okay. I wouldn't probably say that now. (laughs) But our first real indication that something was wrong um, came early on in pregnancy We had an ultrasound around six or seven weeks, which is a little bit earlier than most, just given that we had had multiple losses. And the first thing they found was thickness of the nuchal fold, which is at the back of your neck. And further ultrasounds also showed that she did not have a nasal bone and short femur. So those were some indications that were actually pointing towards Down syndrome and at that time, we really decided we didn't want to do any further testing. It wasn't going to affect how we were going to parent or really change anything in our books. Really, we just wanted to find resources. So that was kind of our first indication something might be wrong at that at that point, And we might have some challenges.
0: And so you stopped the testing and Everly was born. What, How, how was her infancy? What happened when she was born? I mean, it's a wonderful day.
2: It was the best day and, you know, I went to a routine appointment. I found out that I had high blood pressure and was starting to have preeclampsia and they felt like I was far enough along where we could go ahead and deliver. I was 36 and six and we would have to deliver via C-section. So one of the funniest Memories I have of that is calling Chris to tell him that we were going to have a baby and he had to meet me there. Well, we had so many scares during the pregnancy that he thought I was joking. <laughs> and so, by the time it took me from the clinic to get to the hospital, I finally gave him a little crap and said, "You know what? You need to get here otherwise you're not going to meet <laughs> Everly." And he finally left to work, but um we delivered via C-section it appeared all was well she spent minimal time about 2 hours in the nicu for some breathing issues and we really thought we were we were off to the races um and where we really noticed first signs of possible struggle was about 2 to 3 weeks in where we really could not feed her it it there was no way for her to keep down breast milk formula thickening of the formula, no matter what it was, she was vomiting up every single feed and the vomit, not to go too much in detail, but was like twice what we were feeding her. So she was really not retaining anything um, to help her body grow. And I think that was really our first indication that something something was off, but not realizing how serious it, it really was.
0: And by this time you knew it wasn't Down syndrome. And so now it's just gee, she's having trouble feeding. That sonnet story also includes having trouble feeding him, but for a different reason, you know. Um and it is something very concerning for parents. I'm a recent grandparent for second time, and I can remember that, you know, that it's the those doctor visits where you're getting the weights and you're getting the, you know, the, the growth and are they on the charts and to go in and say she's not gaining weight and she's seems to be vomiting more than she's even eating. Um, that had to be scary how did they How did they deal with that? What did they tell you?
2: Yeah, it was pretty concerning. We really noticed that we hadn't gone to one appointment where they said that she was gaining weight, and she weighed six pounds at birth, which was actually mostly fluids that they had given me for the c section, so that wasn't even her true weight. And so for her to continuously lose over three to four weeks, we had gotten down to almost five pounds at one point. Um, And so we were at the pediatrician almost two to three times a week being weighed, looking for ideas, and really, they just could not figure out where it was coming from. And our first trip to the ER was actually for dehydration, which she was about four weeks old. And they gave her some fluids, took some labs, and sent us home within three to four hours. And we really thought, okay, that's great. We have a little bit of help here. Maybe now that she's more hydrated, we can try a different formula and see what happens. And then within a few days, she had gotten so lethargic and this gray purple color that we couldn't even wake her up almost one night. And so we brought her back to Children's Hospital in Minneapolis. And people started to kind of rush around us. We knew something was wrong, but we still didn't know what. And probably one of the most profound things I remember about that day, I sent a picture to my family of Everly And I later found out that one of my sisters was going to come down to visit us, but figured she'd come and visit in the next few days and see how things were going and let us get settled. But when she saw the picture of Everly, she told her spouse that she didn't know if Everly was going to live any longer just based off this picture she saw. And I think that was really profound because as a parent, you don't, necessarily notice that because you're with your child 24-7. And looking back at that picture, it's one of the hardest pictures to look at to this day and just see how sick she really was at that time.
0: Wow. So that outside view gave you the ability to see what was going on right there. So your family shows up and there's there's all this stuff going on. I mean, you're starting to a long list of symptoms here, a long list of things going on. How did they go about figuring out that over time? And and when did you find out or understand that it? it was SETD-5 that was the troublemaker here?
2: So that journey in itself is quite the story. We spent a month or so at Children's Hospital in Minneapolis where they tested her for everything under the sun, um, sedation procedures. Hundreds of pokes and prods could not find an answer, and she continued to lose weight and really digress. And so we got a second opinion at the University of Minnesota. And unfortunately, we didn't have any answers there either. And so we made the decision as as a family that we really needed to look further and we brought her to the Mayo Clinic and we are so fortunate to have them in essentially in our backyard and it was at that point that we kind of realized exactly how sick she was because we were seeing more symptoms of seizures still she was not eating so i think she got down to almost close to 3 pounds which at that point she was it was either 3 to 4 pounds and she was three months old. So she was very petite and very sick. And at that point, they put in a PIC line to feed her or TPN, which was amazing. And we spent most of her first year of life um, in and out of the Mayo Clinic, still with no answers. And so to answer your question, it actually wasn't until March 19, of 2021. So just a year ago that we actually found out that she had set D5. So we waited a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, a long time to watch your, your baby getting smaller and smaller and to, to now know what's going on and then to finally learn it's set D5. And then, you know, so great. Now, you know, it's set D5. What did that tell you?
2: Nothing. <laughs> uh, we, we really had no answers. And, and the day that I found out, I was sitting at work and had gotten a MyChart message that had indicated there was a result available. Mind you, about two months prior, we had done the whole exome sequencing testing which during COVID, it was really difficult for us to go and make the trip to Mayo to have the testing done. And so I can't say enough good things about how that process went because Mayo still had Everly's DNA um, available from 2018. So they used that piece and then sent us a testing kit to our home where Chris and I just did a quick cheek swab and we sent it to the lab And I had followed up religiously on results. And then for some reason that week, I just had not. And I got the indication that there was a result available. And the big red letters said positive on the test. And it said set D5. And I Googled. And I Googled some more. And I couldn't find one resource to even understand what that meant.
0: Unfortunately, it's not a uncommon story to hear that, that people get to their, their diagnosis, their mutation, they understand what's causing, but they don't know how, they don't know why, they don't know what all the intricacies are. And we've heard that from a number of guests, actually, that have had that same issue, you know, what does it mean now? And when you're talking about rare disease, it's not always known. You mentioned the Mayo Clinic, and which fortunately is right in your backyard. I mean, it's a good thing to look for when you're looking for backyard stuff is to have a, you know, world-class healthcare center right near you. Can you tell us a little bit about the the role that they played in 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 helping you find your path through Everly's journey?
2: Yeah, we are just. I don't think I have enough good things to say about them. Just having them in our backyard. Her whole primary care team is there. And just like we have, they have watched her grow up from birth to three. They've been along with us the whole entire ride. And one of those people that we absolutely adore on her team, and she actually has since moved, but was Dr. Ellen. And she was one of the first people that we met when we got to the Mayo Clinic. And we really credit her for keeping Everly alive. She was the first person to validate our feelings and recognize that there was really something wrong with Everly. And she took that very seriously. And she always was the first person to check in on us in the morning, even before her team rounded. And... That really made us feel like family. But the thing that really impacted us the most was when Ellen and another team member showed up to Everly's first birthday party, and they drove over two to three hours just to be there and celebrate her getting to her first birthday. And to this day, Ellen is one of my very best friends, and we're hoping to reunite with her this summer with her and her family
0: that's amazing to to take their job so seriously and the the relationship so seriously to drive 2 to 3 hours you, so you must have a big backyard but it's minnesota it's bigger than around here that's a long drive for everybody and for them to show up and i think you told me there were quite a few of them that showed up too
2: yeah her dietician was there and we did invite the whole team but just having a few there was so impactful It meant the world to us and still to this day does.
0: So let's hear a little bit about Everly. What are her superpowers?
2: There is so much to love about that little girl. She has the most beautiful eyes I have ever seen, the brightest blue. And she has this magic about her that makes a whole room light up when she walks in and making everybody feel loved and included especially her little brother, Maverick. And she has some of the best dance moves that I say she got from Chris. And probably the other favorite thing is she's an amazing artist. But probably the most favorite thing is that she's the bravest and most resilient little girl that I know. And she really inspires us every day.
0: I know that when you go through something like this, it can feel awfully lonely. So can you tell us what it was like when you realized there's other families out there that were dealing with set D5?
2: The day that we got her diagnosis, we were able to get on the phone with our genetics team at the Mayo, which he then in return said there was one to two other families that he had seen with set D5. And he actually gave me, with her permission, a a number to another mom whose kiddo had set D5 as well. And I messaged her so quick (laughs) when I got that number and basically poured my heart out to her. And for the very first time, I felt this connection that I'm not sure I can exactly put into words. It was finally someone who truly got what we were going through. Not to say we don't have an amazing village of support, but it's on a whole new level that we have never felt before. And that led into joining a Facebook group that was for Set D5 families. And one piece that was really fascinating from that is that we saw pictures of other Set D5 friends, and they all look like Everly's cousins. And I loved that. I thought that was just so interesting to finally meet them and hear their stories and how similar our journeys are. And now today we can still bounce things off of each other and and see, you know, how their disease has progressed and what to look for and bring that information to our genetics team. and, And that's very valuable as well.
0: And so what are some of the things you're looking for and seeing in Everly as she grows up a bit?
2: Yeah, so her struggles have been kind of widespread. Since we don't really know how it's going to affect her long term, some of the things that we have seen, obviously, were the difficulty in feeding, which for the most part now, fortunately, has resolved, and she does not have a feeding tube right now. She has what they call propensity for seizures. So in infancy, we saw some seizure activity, and we still need to be watching that now as a toddler. She has a a PFO, or a hole in her heart. So we have a cardiologist team that's constantly monitoring that. And also she has hypoglycemia, so low blood sugars, that right now the cause is unknown. And we recently actually are joining the Dexcom world, and that just got delivered this morning before I got to chat with you. So we're going to learn how to use that. And the other thing is sensory processing disorder, which some of that can stem just from some of the medical trauma that she's endured. Over the last three years. And some of that is also just seen with set D5 families as well. That's kind of how it's presented itself so far.
0: So it's kind of a sensory overload.
2: Yes, exactly. She really doesn't care to be overly touched or hugged or loved on, whereas Maverick is totally my lover boy and wants hugs 24 7 and affection she really sets her own boundaries on, on what that will look like, which I, I personally think is a really good leadership skill at three years old and setting your own boundaries. There you go. That's right.
0: <laughs> Another superpower. All these kids have superpowers like that, that that we can learn from. So how many kids in the world have this?
2: Yeah, so currently there are about 300 known cases worldwide but she is the only reported variant of her type so nobody else like her in the world which we know that already (laughs) she's one in a billion
1: (laughs) it's incredible how similar our journeys are going through the diagnosis the diagnosis odyssey all of the pain all of the trauma but at the end, it's just surreal how, 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 you know, these kids just bounce back and show their own personality and, and be their own true self, like unique self. Um, I just cannot, I, I was just imagining, um, you know, Everly dancing and uh, just, it just melts my heart.
2: Thank you. It's probably one of my most favorite things. And I often wonder if that's kind of her way of healing too. Just finding her own self through dance and so I love that you said that
1: yeah my my son laughs a lot and um, like like Maverick he just craves cuddles mm-hmm. all the time um, and if if you know uh, if I meet him after you know a long day of work um, he's gonna make faces and and really ask me to spend time with him otherwise he's going to be terribly unhappy yes. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you know you you're taking some steps to be more involved in the rare disease community um can you tell us a little bit more about that
2: i recently had a wonderful opportunity to attend angel aid which for those that aren't familiar it's really focused on the rare mother so like a rare disease mom where you can gain experience, education and empowerment just through connecting with other women just like yourself. So I I had really never heard of it before. Effie Parks had shared something on her Instagram for an upcoming retreat and I remember finding the link and going to sign up. And at the time, we were kind of experiencing some things at home where both of our vehicles had broken down and You know, we just didn't have the funds and I came across a link on their website to show a scholarship opportunity. I filled it out and within 30 minutes I had gotten the acceptance to go to the retreat and I really had no idea how impactful it would be on my life and that six weeks was life-changing for me with that connection and some lifelong friends that I know I'm going to have now.
1: That's amazing. Connections are all the, the the hope, the source of hope that we have um, in this in this really st- tragic, I guess, journey that we are taking. Uh, because, as you said, meeting meeting this other parent that has gone through a, a journey that you are starting to go through just opens up a world. Meeting other parents who have done some something about you know their rare diseases uh, that know how that they can teach you how to navigate tough journey that lies in front of you makes a whole world of a difference, and that is just how I came about um, is through all these connections and all these lifelong friendships and, and, and it's funny because i we text a lot uh, among a group of friends, but I've never met them. <laughs> I consider them to be one of my close friends
2: Yes, and you feel like you're the best of friends yes, I, I mean, I even feel that way about podcasts and and you guys as well, where you actually feel like you've met these people before because you're listening to their podcasts, you're texting them, and and in reality, you've never even met them before.
1: That's true, and I mean it's 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 sort of a, a great learning opportunity for me personally because friendship is not about going to the same school, living in the same city, right? It's about shared experiences. Um, as long as you two people have the same shared experiences or similar experiences that they can relate to each other, friendship starts. Um, and as long as there is willingness to be candid yes. and vulnerable, that's where friendship lies.
2: A hundred percent.
1: So as you look forward to getting into advocacy, what do you hope to do? What are your dreams? What are your goals?
2: I saw a quote yesterday from Daniel de Fabio. That said, once it's public, you'll be surprised who benefits from that story. I know not everyone is comfortable doing it, but if you are, it's so rewarding, so valuable to be more open. And that really exemplified what I want to do on the advocacy journey is share our story. We want to connect with others. We have some plans in the works to start to get more inclusive playgrounds locally in our community. And we started a rare disease celebration this year that we did on Rare Disease Day. And I have some big dreams about eventually having my own podcast or blog. And just finding joy and paving the road for others in the rare disease community is really going to be my passion.
1: That's incredible. I, I, I love that quote. Um, it means it means so much to me because that's the path that I've walked through. And I can tell you from experience that it is just just way more rewarding uh, to be open than to be closed. Um, I, um, a, a lot of the times when I feel depressed, when I think my life isn't going as well, uh, when Raghav isn't doing as well, my out has been tweeting and posting on LinkedIn and uh, recording on on a podcast and my mindset just like flips from hopelessness to to incredible hopefulness and just i just get so much energy very quickly i don't even know where it comes from and it just comes from accepting uh the fact that what we're going through is tough but also knowing that there are hundreds of thousands of people that are rooting for us to be successful. So I'm super excited that you are embarking on this journey.
2: Thank you. And I just really want to comment on that last piece because there's so much healing in sharing our story. And I'm really finding that out over the past year or so. And also getting such just empathy and learning more about others people's journeys has been very healing for ourselves too. So I, I definitely relate to that.
1: Well, I hope if you ever start a podcast, it could be focused a lot on certified kids and how awesome they are and how um, incredible the whole community is. I'm not giving away too much, but I know you have a lot of plans in place. So hopefully one day.
2: Yes. Thank you.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for um, sharing your story. Is is there one bit of advice that you would like to share with our listeners?
2: If there was one piece of advice that I would like to share with listeners is don't be afraid to share your story and find hope and healing in your community and don't be afraid to ask for help.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very hard to ask, ask for help. It's, it's, but it's incredibly important to do that. So thank you so much for spreading that message and spreading, this, um, uh, spreading your wisdom to everyone in the community. Thank you so much, Brittany.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks. Empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare.